It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you have come out to be with us. With, if you consider yourself a visitor, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we hope that you feel comfortable this morning. We hope that you're built up and edified and encouraged this morning. Uh, this has been a very trying time. Uh, it seems like everybody has thought that when 2021 would get here, everything would just automatically change, and it hasn't. Uh, but God is good. God is in control, and we are very blessed people. Uh, and, and we're blessed to be able to gather together this morning and to be together and to, to enjoy the comforts of the worship assembly. Uh, and I hope that you are comforted this morning. Uh, I say that, and then I'm going to show you what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, probably not something we would consider to be a subject of comfort, uh, but a subject of necessity nonetheless. And we're going to talk about bitterness this morning. Uh, this was a study that we did in, in, in our home about three weeks ago, um, and I will tell you that, that just like a lot of things, you do these studies uh, and you see yourself. You see yourself in the mirror, and that's what God's Word is for. That's what it's meant for. James talked about that in James chapter 1, that we look into the perfect law of liberty and we see ourselves like a man looks at his natural face in the mirror, and he beholds himself. And what does he see? That's the question. What does he see? God's Word is meant to be that mirror. It's meant not to reach us in a way uh, that we change the outside, but we change the inside. And bitterness is an inside problem that manifests itself in an outside way. So as we get started this morning, I appreciate the reading of the morning Brother Dusty read for us. Uh, we're going to revisit some of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. I will have the scriptures up on the screen for your convenience. I think that they're all in New King James. Um, there may be a King James thrown in there once or twice. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, this was a common theme in Paul's writings as he described the process of sanctification. And when you think about sanctification, uh, it means setting something apart. And what he told these Christians in all these churches that he wrote to is, look, don't just be satisfied with the fact that God has forgiven your sins. You need to now work yourself toward holiness and righteousness. And he describes that process as a putting off and a putting on. Uh, he uses that over and over in his letters. So that's what we're going to focus on for a moment. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So I want us to think about, to consider for just a moment, the idea of put off and put on. What does that mean? And it literally is just like putting off clothes and putting on clothes. That's the idea here. So, what does Paul mention? What did he mention in our reading? He mentioned to put off several things. And in our reading, we're not going to revisit all those scriptures, but he said, wherefore, putting away lying, let every man speak the truth with his neighbor. He said, you need to put off anger. He said, be be angry and do not sin, neither let the sun go down upon your wrath. Put off anger. He said, you need to put off stealing. Don't steal anymore. He said, in fact, instead of being a taker, start working with your hands and get your own gain. And instead of being a taker, be a giver. And then he says, you need to put away these other things as well, which is going to be the focus of our lesson. But I want you to notice that there's a goal in mind here of put off and put on. The goal is true righteousness and holiness. 
And the reason I'm going through all this is to say this. Bitterness is the enemy of true righteousness and holiness. Notice verse 31 once again. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. The same idea, put away, put off, be put away from you with all malice. And look at verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here's the problem with bitterness. When we've got bitterness, and again, it's a hard issue, kindness leaves us. Tenderheartedness disappears. Forgiveness is not an option. What bitterness does is it gets inside of a person and it hardens the heart. It makes it calloused. It makes us cynical. It makes us apathetic. It makes us into the opposite of who God wants us to be. So I don't want us to just, I don't want to just assume that everybody understands the idea of bitterness. So I'd, I want to go through for just a moment. I want to look at Webster's Bible Dictionary and see how uh, it defines the way that the Bible uses the word bitterness. Now, uh, first off, in its most literal sense, the word bitterness means a bitter taste or rather a quality in things which excites a biting, disagreeable sensation in the tongue. That's its literal usage. It's, it's like when you uh, bite into something that, that just doesn't taste right and you kind of tongue goes into the side of the mouth. We actually use the literal usage of the word bitter to describe the, the, uh, the uh, figurative way. We might say, you know what, that left a bitter taste in my mouth or left a bad taste in my mouth. And what we mean is that that's made me bitter. Okay, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily use it in this way in verse 32 of Ephesians 4 when it says put away all bitterness or, or, or uh, let these things go. It's not saying don't eat anything that tastes bad. It's using the figurative sense. And I want to kind of break this down for a moment. Webster's defines the usage of this word in a figurative sense, extreme enmity. Um, that means that you're at odds with something. It has become your enemy. Uh, it has become that thing that opposes you. He says a grudge or hatred or rather an excessive degree of implacableness, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, of passions and emotions as the bitterness of anger. Maybe you've seen this word implacable before if, you, if you've read the King James in Romans chapter 1 as he names all those sins. The second to last one is implacable. Well, that's not really typically a word that we use in our modern day language. The word implacable or implacableness is the quality of not being appeasable, inexorable, irreconcilable enmity or anger. So we went through that rather fast. Let's talk about what that means for a moment. Okay, Inexorable means you can't stop it from happening. It's inevitable. What's inevitable? The implacableness of passions and emotions like the bitterness of anger. Okay, So let's think about the way bitterness manifests itself on the outside for a moment. God has told us to control ourselves, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a Christian virtue that we read about in 2 Peter chapter 1. It, temperance is the theme of Christianity. As, as Felix reasoned about what Paul said, it said he, he thought about temperance because that's a theme of being a disciple of Christ. And what he is saying here is that bitterness causes us 
It's inevitable. We will not control our passions. We will not control our emotions because it takes a hold of us and it turns us toward that course. You ever been around a bitter person and you recognize they're a bitter person? How much control of their mouth do they have? How much control of their attitude do they have? Very little, right? You know, when grandma's around or something, they may be kind and nice and all that. But, but it, it, it causes us to view the world in a certain way when we're bitter. And that's the problem with bitterness. Bitterness is an ungodly and an unhappy mental state. And it's characterized by resentment. That is the root cause of bitterness. And we'll talk about some more as we get a little bit deeper into our study. An antonym for bitterness would be great gratefulness or gratitude. It's the opposite of being grateful. We lose that. We stop being thankful when we become bitter. And that's why it's such a, a pervasive problem. And it's a pervasive problem within God's people. In my experience, I see people leave the church because they're bitter. They're resentful. Someone upset them. Someone hurt their feelings. Someone offended them. They refuse to get over it. They don't just leave the church. They leave God. They leave the faith. They lose their faith. This is a huge problem. I want to think, uh, as we are trying to wrap our minds around the idea of bitterness, I want to, to get a picture of bitterness from a man who became bitter. And... It's really interesting to me because we're going to talk about Solomon for just a moment. But Solomon had all the resources and all the people uh, that he needed to accomplish anything in life. And he sought out to do that. And at the end of doing all the things that his heart desired, this is what he had to say. Therefore, I hated life. What? What? You did everything you ever wanted to do and you hate your life? Yeah, that's right. He hated life. He said, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. He said, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. He said, it's all pointless. It's all useless. I've wasted my time. It's just distressing to me. I hate my life. He said, I, I hated the labor. I hated all my labor in which I had tooled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He was even resentful for the fact that I've done all this and I'm going to die and somebody's going to come enjoy it. And I don't get to keep it. What was Solomon's real problem? He tried to find fulfillment and contentment within himself. He was self-absorbed. That's why he became so bitter about all these things. He learned the lesson. We know that. At the end of the book, he learns the lesson. He says, I've drawn the conclusion from all this. Man's all is to fear God and keep his commandments, not seek out to find fulfillment in this life separate and apart from God. But he became a very bitter person, a very resentful person. In verse 19, he says, and who knows whether we, he will be wise or fool. Talk about the man he leaves his stuff to. He says, yet he will rule over all my labor, in which I told and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired on all the labor in which I had tooled under the sun. I want you to notice this phrase here where he says, I turned my heart. As much as we might look at what Solomon did or some of the things he said and criticize him, he at least held himself accountable for the state that he was in. 
And that's the truth for all of us. Everyone goes through bad things. We all have circumstances happen to us. We, we are hurt by other people. We're betrayed by other people. But at the end of the day, if we become bitter, that's not on them, that's on us. We're in control of that. And God has given us the tools so that we don't become a bitter person. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says this, Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, sounds a lot like Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Without which no one will see the Lord. Now look at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. One of the things that I think bitter people take comfort in, and I know that sounds strange, but they'll take comfort in it because they express it. Well, it's my problem, it's not your problem, so leave me alone. And that is so far from the truth. You know, we've, we, uh, this last year, uh, I finally, because I didn't travel, I told Toy, we're going to have an ice yard this year. And so I got out and started working on the yard, and this strange weed started popping up in the yard. And we didn't know what it was. We'd never seen it before. And before we knew it, it was all over the yard. And I was asking everybody around town, what is this stuff? And trying to talk to people at Tractor Supply, and nobody knew what it was. And somebody finally said, oh, I know what that is. That's wild carrots. Well, they didn't grow carrots, but, but I'll tell you what they did do. They grew in this, like, it looked like a shrub, uh, but they weren't attached. Each one of them had their own root. And they're about the hardest thing to pull up because they're a tender plant, and the root is deep, and, and every time you try to pull one up, you know what it does? It breaks off. So for about four weeks, I've got a bunch of, looks like I tilled spots in the yard from digging this stuff up because you couldn't pull the root out. And for a while, after a while, I got frustrated trying to pull them. I just started pulling them off. Well, guess what they did? They grew back. I mean, we could walk out there and go, hey, it's not there anymore, but guess what? It's coming back. Because you pull, you pull the plant off, but it doesn't matter. See, that's the thing. We don't see the root. And we think the root is my problem. It's not your problem. No, the problem is the root's going to grow a tree. The tree's going to bear fruit. And that's what Paul says here. You need to be careful and be looking with diligence because if you've got a root of bitterness, it will spring up. And not only will it spring up, it's going to hurt people. It's going to cause trouble and many people are going to be defiled by it. Let's just think on that thought for just a moment. Let's go to the, the Proverbs for a moment where Solomon tells us the same thing. He says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go. Lest you learn his ways and get a snare or set a snare to your soul. <clears throat> so he says, don't be friends with an angry person. Why? Because you'll become like that angry person. Well, you say, okay, I get it. Don't be friends with a bitter person. See, it doesn't just work with anger. It works with a lot of things. Uh, that's why he says evil communications corrupt good manners. Because relationships are reciprocal. And when we have a relationship with somebody... If we're close to that person, we're around that person a lot, we're going to start adapting their habits. So let's think about this phrase for a moment, and I want to apply it in a different way. We probably look in the mirror, right? We look in the mirror of God's Word, we say, okay, am I being friends with an angry person? Check. Well, let's look in a different mirror. Maybe we're not the person that needs to be admonished, don't be friends with an angry person. Maybe we're the person that God's admonishing other people not to be friends with. Maybe we're the angry person. But we looked at it that way. Maybe God is telling others not to be friends with us. 
Everything we do, it bleeds over into our relationships. You know what? If you're cynical, your children will be cynical. If you get to where you look at life and you're apathetic, your kids will be apathetic. They will not care. You know why? Because they learn our ways. Our spouses learn our ways. Our friends, our coworkers, they learn our ways. And bitterness is not just your problem. It's everybody in your life's problem. And that's why Paul says, be careful, be diligent, because that root of bitterness can spring up, and it can cause so much trouble. It can defile the people that are in God's kingdom. How do we become bitter? And we've touched on that. But I want to be a little more specific. People aren't just born bitter. How do we get to be a bitter person? Jeremiah 10 and 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You've heard this scripture, haven't you? The question is, do we grasp what he's saying? Do we really grasp it? You know why a lot of people become bitter? Because they seek to control every circumstance in their life. And when things don't go their way, they never forget it. And it becomes a life pattern. And they, and they try to go their own way. They try to seek their own way. And it, and it doesn't work out how they want it. You know, a very similar thought to this in Jeremiah 10 is in Proverbs 19, where he says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. You know what we have to do in order to not become bitter? We have to accept something. We have to accept that not everything is within my control. I can't control my circumstances. I can't. I can control what's within my ability, but even that is limited. What we need to do is seek the will of God and accept the will of God. In fact, we learn this from the Savior. Jesus, as he is about to go to the cross, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about the agony. He's thinking about the shame, about having to go and be made sin for the world. And what does he say? If it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. Well, that's what we do in life, isn't it? We, we may see something on the horizon, some difficult situation, and we say, God, take this away. Well, what if he doesn't? Are we going to become resentful? Are we going to become bitter? Are we going to lose faith? Are we going to lose trust in God? Jesus prayed the prayer, but that prayer had an asterisk. Father, take the cup away, but let's do what you want, not what I want. We've got to accept we're not in control. And the things that we're not in control of, we need to be content with that and trust God. And not become resentful against God or his people. Matthew chapter 6 and 31, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you, you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is another reason why people become bitter in life. Their priorities become misaligned. They start seeking the wrong things. This is why Solomon became a resentful person. It's why he became bitter. Because his focus was in the wrong place. And Jesus warns us about that. 
He said, you need to seek the kingdom of God. You need to be seeking the things that are eternal, the things that are spiritual. And I want to talk about a person just for a moment. <clears throat> Another person who, who we see uh, their misaligned priorities lead them to envy. Now, this was a man who could not control the situation, but he tried every way to control it. I'm talking about King Saul. Once David was anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel, he was anointed by God to be the next king. And you remember the battle, the story of David and Goliath, where David goes out and he slays the Philistines' champion. Well, guess who else heard about that? All the people back in the kingdom. And as they come home... Uh, we read about the narrative here, gives us a picture of what happened as they were riding back into town. It happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That is not what you want to hear when you're the king. It, you know, it says they came out to meet Saul, but who did they honor? Well, they gave Saul a portion of honor, but they gave great honor to David. Why? Because David's the one that beat the champion. And what happened? The Bible says, then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Here's the deal with David and Saul. It wasn't that David or that Saul got angry at David that day and then tomorrow he got over it. Saul eyed David from that day forward. I believe Saul died hating David. Why? Because he was jealous. He was envious of David. That's what happens when your priorities are misaligned. You start thinking about what Jesus said, about what you're going to eat, what clothes you're going to wear, and what house you're going to live in, what car you're going to drive, and I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to live your life in envy and covetousness. Because you're going to want those things, and then you're going to see people that have everything that you don't have. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to hate people for no reason at all. And be resentful against them for succeeding. Some people hate successful people because they're not successful. And it's all back to the idea that our heart is in the wrong place. Our priorities are misaligned. And what Saul should have understood here is this is God's will. This is God's will. But you know what Saul did? You know what that bitter root did? That bitter root caused Saul to try to kill David on three separate occasions with a javelin. It caused Saul to be so paranoid and mistrusting that he tried to even kill his own son because he thought that he loved David more than he loved him. It caused him to be so paranoid that he went to the city of priests where the tabernacle of God was because Abimelech had fed David some food and he uh, ordered Doeg the Edomite to kill every priest in the town with their families and their kids. Why? All because of this right here. started out real small as a man getting upset over something that he couldn't control and pretty soon it turned into the murder of innocent people 
You say, well, you're being a little bit exaggerated. No, I'm not. Because maybe we don't go out and we kill a person physically. But maybe we destroy the souls of people in our life because we're a bitter person who is cynical and apathetic about life. And what's worse? What's worse? In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And what he's talking about is that these people wanted to give him a gift. They wanted to support his work. And he says, you didn't really have the opportunity to do that, but I know that you wanted to do that. And he, he thanks them for, for the, when, the times that they did care for him. And he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. What David is saying is, you gave me that gift and I really appreciate it, but you know what? In truth, I really didn't need it. And he said, the reason I didn't need it is because I have learned. I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. And Paul was in some pretty bad states at times. He was in some pretty bad ways. But he said, I've learned to be content. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where did Paul learn that? How did he learn how to be abased when he was abased? How did he learn how to abound when he abounded? He had to go through those experiences in order to learn contentment. But the key was to keep his trust in God, to have his priorities in the right place, and to be accepting of God's will. If anybody had a right to complain about injustice in life, other than Jesus, it was Paul. To go out and give up everything and preach the gospel... And to go into cities and be stoned to the point where they think that you're dead and they just leave you for dead outside a city. You know, that's an injustice. What did Paul do? Did he lose his faith? Did he become bitter against his God? No. In fact, he got up, bloody mess as he was, ate some food, went to the next city, preached the gospel there too because he learned to be content with God's will. We've got to learn that same lesson. To guard our heart against resentment, and distrust and bitterness. Proverbs 29 and 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Here's the real fruit of bitterness. It's sin. Notice what he says. Let's read it again. An angry man stirs up strife. That means there's always fighting around an angry man. And he said he abounds in sin, in transgression. Let's look at another passage in James chapter 1. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is it about bitterness that leads us to abound in sin? Galatians 5 and 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, if we could characterize this, if we could, if we could think about this, the works of the flesh, he's saying there are things that are manifest in life that just like Jesus said, these things come forth from where? From the heart, or, or literally from the heart of man. 
They, they have a root. And he says they're evident, they're manifest. And he says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Probably not connected to bitterness. They might be. Idolatry, sorcery. Okay, now we're going to get to where the rubber meets the road. Hatred, contentions. We just read about that, didn't we? An angry man stirs up strife. Where's the root? It's anger, it's bitterness. Jealousies. Think about jealousies for just a moment. It's not just King Saul that we read about in Scripture that, that in his wrath killed someone. I mean, the first children ever to be born on the earth. Cain kills his brother. And what does the New Testament tell us the, the cause of that was? Wherefore slew he him because his own brother's deeds were righteous and his were wicked. He became bitter and resentful against his brother and he murdered him. Outbursts of wrath. When bitterness becomes vo vocal, just look out. Because <laughs> it's like a sprinkler. That's what an outburst is. It's not target. It just flies everywhere, hurting anybody in its path. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, or we would call it divisions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bitterness can keep us out of heaven. That's why it's serious. I want to look at the flip side of this, though. I want to think about, for just a moment, this idea of something being out of alignment. <clears throat> and I'm going to take a detour for just a minute, so stay with me. We're going to come back to the track. When Jesus was, was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the first commandment of all? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Why not just say, love God with everything you've got? I mean, he could have, right? Why say heart, soul, mind, strength? Because those are different parts of man. Strength is what you put your energy and effort into. You know what? That's a really good mirror image. If you want to know whether or not you're loving God with all the other things, ask yourself the question, where do I spend my time, my effort, my energy? Where do I put my resources into? And you'll figure it out real quick. It's a really good tell. You think about the mind, what do you think about all the time? What, what is it that consumes your thinking and your mind? The heart is the affections of man. And, and I know we like to say love is not a feeling. I get it, okay? Love is not just a feeling. But Jesus just said love God with your affections, with your emotions, with your passions. Love is a feeling. It's not just a feeling, but it is a feeling. And it matters what you care about and where your feelings are in this life. But it's the second commandment that I want us to think about for a minute. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this can be a real struggle. Because sometimes the neighbor is hard to love. 
You know, at the end of the day, if I start thinking about God, and I start thinking about, you know, is God worthy of my love? I hope that you will come to the conclusion every single time. No, he's not hard to love. He's very easy to love. But if I start trying to reason and be logical about whether or not my neighbor is hard to love, it gets pretty tough. I, uh, this is new for us. Toy and I have not lived in town. We've lived in town for four years now of our entire marriage. We've, we've, we've been blessed with not having neighbors. <laughs> and the headache that neighbors can be and the fact that sometimes they don't mind their own business and they may, you know, don't you? Sometimes neighbors are hard to love. Sometimes you get to hating your neighbors. You don't want to be around your neighbors. You smile at them while your teeth are biting together when they come home and you're on the front porch. It's a problem, isn't it? The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There's no law against these things. There's nothing that would forbid these things. These are fruits that grow from a tree, that spring up. And they don't defile. They edify, they build up, they encourage, they comfort. So what is the tree of our life bearing today? Are we bitter? Or are we bearing these fruits? Because the heart of bitterness is not soft enough to bear any of these fruits. Instead of love, it'll be hatred. Instead of joy, it'll be depression. Instead of peace, it'll be chaos. You get it, don't you? So let's recap for a moment. How do we overcome bitterness? Well, number one, we need to pray for God's direction in our life and seek it through his word. That should be something we do every single day of our life. Pray for God's will to be done and search and seek that out. Number two, examine and adjust your priorities. If you find your priorities out of line, well, guess what? That is within our control. That's completely within our control. It's only within our control to adjust our priorities in our life. Number three, be content with what you have the ability and opportunity to obtain. I know what the world tells us. It says dream big. But you need to ma manage your expectations. Manage your expectations. Because sometimes we, we dream so big, we dream to a point where it's really not attainable. And then we live our life in disappointment. We need to manage those expectations. Number four, pray to the Lord to help you forgive. This is critical. This is critical. You say, Ian, it seems like every lesson you give, you talk about forgiveness. Some point, you talk about we need to forgive each other. Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you why. Because this is one of the biggest problems that I see God's people dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Is somebody hurt them. Somebody betrayed them. And they've got resentment. And that resentment turns into that ugly tree of bitterness. If you can't forgive somebody, pray to God every single day. Help me forgive that person. 
Jesus taught us to pray. Not just to be forgiven, but to be forgiven as we forgive others. Why did he say that? Because he knows we struggle with it. Number five, live to please God and others more than self. I want to tell you a story as we close today. And uh, it might be a story that you've heard. This is my version of the story. And it's meant to be a parable, so it doesn't matter that I change the details. Uh, There was this man who had lived his life. And toward the end of his life, he was a very healthy person. Uh, and he really wanted to die. That was his greatest desire. He just hated life. And a neighbor of his told him about a man that lived in another town who was an alchemist. He, he got herbs and mixed them together and made different concoctions and potions and medicines and things like that. And he said, if you really want to die, go see this man. I know that he has uh, an herb that will just make you fall asleep and you'll never wake up again. And so he goes to see this man, and he says, I'm here for the herb of death. What does it cost? He said, well, he said, it doesn't cost any money. He says, I've only got one thing that I need you to do if you want this herb. He says, I'll do it. I I hate my life. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. He said, all right. He says, I've got seven healing herbs, and I want you to take these seven herbs, and I want you to go back into town, and I want you to find seven people who need these herbs. Come back and see me. Once you've done that, I will give you this herb of death. So the man did what he said. It took him several weeks to find seven people who he thought needed these herbs. And once he found them, he goes back to the alchemist and he says, All right, I've done it. He says, All right, here's your herb of death. He said, No, I don't want the herb of death. I want seven more healing herbs. Because I found a reason to live. You know what happens when we serve others? We find joy. We find peace. We find contentment. We find purpose in our life. We find a reason not to be bitter. That's what this man learned. Friends, today if you're bitter, come to God. He knows your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. And God can help you with that. If you're not a Christian here today and would like to become one, we want to assist you in that. Uh, We have everything prepared. If that is a need for you this morning, we we certainly want to help you with that. Uh, If you're here today and you're struggling with bitterness and resentment in your life, well, I'll tell you, prayer is an avenue of God's blessings. And God will bless us. Make no mistake of it. That's what we need to do is put our trust in Him. So if you have a need this morning, come and have a seat in one of these chairs right up here at the front, and we will help you as we stand and we sing.